Welcome to Table 86, a podcast celebrating Black and other underrepresented talent transforming the landscape of the food and beverage industry. I'm your host, Gio Darwin. Let's take a seat. From blogger to food and travel writer to Emmy award-winning television host, today's guest has touched every facet of the media industry. At the table today is the vibrant and multi-talented Kehlani Palmazano. In this episode, Kehlani shares her experiences as a woman of color navigating a journalism career and how cultivating content creation skills across a number of mediums prepared her for her role as host of Check, Please, Philly. In the table topic, Kehlani gives us her tips for getting comfortable in front of the camera. I am just so excited to have you here today, Kehlani. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited. Yes, we met on the set of Checks Please Philadelphia, and where you were the host, and I was on season one. And just, you know, I, I think we knew some of the same people and we connected from there. So it's nice to actually have you on the other side of this. Um, oh, yeah. Philly, <laughs> Philly is like a little big city where you really can kind of find the connections between the people. But it's so fun because every single guest, and I've befriended it all, a lot of the guests too. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> I've befriended a lot of the guests. And it's so funny because it's like, I remember everyone's restaurant and you were Rex 1516. And yes. you were on an episode with Marrakesh and Mrs. Rubino's uh, down yes. in Delaware. And I'll never forget. And I, I always felt bad because the day of your taping was also the day I had to do pr- like promo photos and headshots ah. and everything. <laughs> so I had like, I always like to have time with my guests beforehand. And I know they always say like, oh, don't talk about the restaurants beforehand. Like we want to save the magic for the camera. So I talk about everything else. And it's there where we all build a rapport and we all mm-hmm. become friends. But I missed that opportunity with, with your table. And you know, I, I I felt so bad because I kind of sat at the table and we like launched into taping and I was like, I feel you didn't like get I to did. build a rapport. Well, <laughs> I, I will say that, you know, it, it didn't show like you made us feel comfortable. Right. Oh, awesome. Yeah. I know that check, please, is fairly recent. Like that's one of your newer things, though, newer, i.e. the past like two or three years. Yeah. But before that, you were a food and travel writer. So Tell me a little bit about your backstory. How'd you get into writing and now just into content creation and media? Oh my gosh. I think it all started with an interest in blogging while I was in college. I did a Mm. study abroad semester in Germany. It was like my first time traveling by myself, but also traveling abroad. And I I had a blog to kind of keep, it was like letters back home. It wasn't supposed to be anything. Um, and I, I, I think at that time it was 2010 or 2009 rather, um, around there, <laughs> somewhere around there. Right. And <laughs> we weren't, I don't think at that time people were expecting blogging to be like the industry that it is today. So it was very rogue. It was very random. It really was people's journal. I mean, I was on a blog spot, but before that it was like live. Zanga, do you remember? Zanga. Yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> so the blogs were very raw. They and they were just literally letters back home to my friends and family so that they knew what I was up to and knew what I was doing. And 
I just wrote about all of the things that I learned while living in Germany, about the castles I'd go visit, about the culture, about my uh, faux pas of being an American uh, mm. living in Germany and making all those fun mistakes. And then, of course, things like food, um, which was like a big thing. Uh, food, you know, is always the way I like to connect to people. I like to right. learn about other cultures through food. But it kind of the blog gave me the travel bug. And even when I came home, people were like, why aren't you blogging still? And I was like, well, because that was for when I was in Germany. It's done now. I'm home. I'm like, I'm going, I'm finishing up my marketing <laughs> degree and I'm going to go work at a desk job for from nine to five for the rest of my life. That was it. That was the most exciting <laughs> That was part. the goal, right? <laughs> that was it. And the fact that I was this fledgling travel writer became the thing that most of the companies I worked for were super interested in. They were like, oh, you know how to build a content strategy. You know how to do social media marketing. You know how to do. Right. And it was like, I just kind of learned that by accident from uh, embarking on the early days of blogging. So that's kind of where it started. And you know, at night and on weekends, I did freelance writing. And it was a mixed bag of writing for real estate uh, blogs, like writing about Philadelphia neighborhoods, like every single zip code. Mm -hmm. I had to write about, you know, different Philadelphia things. Um, But what was fun was, uh, uh, you know, one of the things that they say in travel writing, I got like a book about how to be a travel writer. And one of the first things was like, write about what you know. And you know, start in the place where you are. And I was in Philadelphia and it was really cool because Philadelphia was, I think, not on people's radar, but people were starting to pay attention to it. Right. It was was, at that time when like, um, like I I say this often and and it's like my key phrase is like Philly has really blossomed over the past like 10 years. Yes. So it's been an interesting thing to see. And I'm sure for you, an interesting thing to write about. And so from, from there, I know that you Obviously, as you said, working professional by day, like most of us, right? And then um, kind of blogger, writer by night. And at some point, I know that you were the food and travel editor for USA Today. I still am part-time. Oh, you're still, you still are. I was (laughs) like, (laughs) that's awesome. So I wasn't sure if like Check Please was, I know there's off season, but I wasn't sure if Check Please was the full-time thing or if you were still also doing food, um, food and travel editing for USA Today. How did that opportunity come up? Were you just pitching to USA Today and other news outlets or? Uh, oh gosh, okay. It's kind of, <laughs> hmm, this is a story. So I was the social media manager or rather social media director of a small travel publication that I will not name mm-hmm. uh, online. And it was definitely, it was my first full-time contract working for a travel publication and it was like a millennial i think they they bill themselves as like nat geo for millennials even though no not really (laughs) but (laughs) but it was it was an absolute broco um i was the only woman uh in like a managerial position uh every meeting that i would go into was just lots of dudes and I don't know. I think at the time I didn't realize what was happening to me. I was there for two years Mm. and anytime that my ideas were shot down, I would just think, well, I better come up with better ideas Uh, or any time that uh, a project of mine was rejected. I'd be like, well, I just guess I'm not ready. Um, But for several years of that, and then, you know, 
having to prove myself and try to prove myself and try to prove myself um, deteriorated my um, my sense of self, but deteriorated mm-hmm. my trust in my capabilities and definitely deteriorated my confidence. And so I was known throughout the travel blogging community. I spoke at conferences. I, I did panels, did panel discussions, and I was pretty well networked and everything. And so I would always, like, I had other projects outside of, like, I used to write for Yahoo as well before mm-hmm. I worked at this travel company. Um, but as as the internet changed and as social media changed, uh, even, even the social media job was, like, not exactly what I wanted to do, at, but it was a foot in the door of the thing. It was getting me in the direction of where I wanted to go. Mm-hmm. And I remember distinctly like Facebook was uh, they came out with the Facebook live product and it was new and everyone was pivoting to video. Yeah. Remember the big old pivot to video? It yeah. was around, mm-hmm. I feel like it was around like 2016. And so as the social media director, I was like, well, I need to learn how these platforms work. I need to learn how di- video is distributed over social media platforms. So I, created a page called foodful thinking with my husband well my boyfriend now husband john Mm -hmm. and i was like well i can't test facebook live on my company's um facebook page because at the time they had like 1.5 million followers on facebook and i was like well i can't like do that on their facebook page but i can do this on like a dummy facebook page and do a bunch of prototypes of different types of formats and styles of storytelling that would work for uh facebook live and in fact Mm -hmm. like what was cool too was um i I actually got to go to the facebook offices to learn more about the the project or the these uh these products um so i had like a reference point of what facebook wanted and you know what happens is when when you give Facebook what it wants, it amplifies it. Absolutely. So, oh, yeah. Algorithm. <laughs> exactly. So honestly, this project could only exist at this time and be successful at that time because it was just like the right time, the right kind mm-hmm. of format, the right thing. So we cre- created this page called Foodful Thinking, and we had a weekly Facebook Live show called Friday Night Cookies. And Friday night cookies was, we would take like a cookie brand. We would talk Mm. about the history, talk (laughs) about the drama, surprisingly very interesting topic with lots of avenues to take. And then we would eat, you know, product review, right? (laughs) Yeah. We would eat the cookies. We had wine glasses full of milk, but they were really raw. They were filmed on an iPhone, like streamed on an iPhone. So it was Mm -hmm. like extra raw, extra pixelated. It was in my dirty like South Philly apartment my cat would get involved like he'd come and like be sniffing the camera and everything and they were completely live so anything could happen like one time I definitely like we were doing a s'mores bit and I lit a marshmallow on fire and it was a very it was over like (laughs) (laughs) so that was fun but uh the so you know the the Facebook page that we created just after episode six just started to gain a lot of momentum. And so by the end of the test project, it had reached 40,000 people within a few Mm. months. And I think overall it was like several million video views, which, you know, whatever, however you want to read into the stats of Facebook video views is however you want to read into it. But it was clearly- It was a lot of views. Right. So I, I, I presented this to my company and- I was like, oh, you know, we should do more food travel stuff. Like people are really interested in food and we should also be doing like programming like this over Facebook Live. And I would like to run that. 
and they laughed at me. Oh my God. They actually laughed at me. Oh no. And then like, they were like, well, we need to do more video. And I was like, I would love to do video. Like I've, you know, at that point I had done video for about a decade. Uh, I had studied a little bit of it in college and in high school, I was capable behind a camera and I know how to do video editing. And they were like, no, we can't have you do it. So they actually took a guy on our team who actually had no video experience, trained him up and gave him like this video producer role. And it just frustrated me so much, but I still stuck around. And then guess what? They like, they fired me with no, with no, for no reason, but the travel industry blew up on my behalf because I had been fired. And my now boss at USA Today 10 Best saw the explosion and was like, wait, that company just got rid of their social media director. And so he hired me because he saw I had been fired. That's, I mean, that's the silver lining, right? Uh, That's lemons into lemonade, right? Um, So you're, you're speaking a little bit about this. Like, it's awesome how these opportunities, one, things that you've gone after, um, skills that you've acquired in content creation that are building on existing skills that you have. Um, you mentioned something that I, I just wanted to touch on before Go I forgot for is being a woman and in particular a woman of color. Um, I, I know you're biracial um, mm-hmm. as well. How has it been navigating these spaces? Um, you mentioned a little bit from your perspective, being a woman in this very male dominated company and how your ideas weren't always heard or or you were dismissed. And I would imagine you've experienced that in multiple spaces. Oh yeah. Yeah. As a biracial person who is also very light skinned, it's like, I get asked a lot like, Oh, what are you? And it's, you know, and I'm stupid enough to always answer that question earnestly. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, Oh, Mm -hmm. and I'm proud of it and everything. And then, you know, you see the person calculating and then it's like, Oh, they're sizing me. That's what they're doing. Oh, they're sizing me up. They're trying to figure out like what I'm capable of, Mm -hmm. you know, what I like they're they're I'm getting measured right now. And, um, yeah. So being, being a mixed person, um, it's like, was this world of, you know, when, when someone asks you, what are you, you're definitely, they know you're not white. Um, right. <laughs> yeah. They know you're not white, but they know you're something. And people try to guess too. And I don't know if it's because being biracial people can, people feel a little bit more Liberty to be mm. so ignorant about it. Uh, some people presume like, Oh, well, it's not that bad or what you're experiencing isn't necessarily that. So I kind of grew up in this existence of, experiencing um racism and experiencing Mm. those kinds of moments where no matter what you do and this is what I learned at that company that I was working for it was like no matter what I did to prove myself they just weren't looking for it within me they didn't Mm. expect me to be anything more than support for them and support for their mission and someone to take notes at the meetings, someone to, you know, get the coffee kind of person and not to have any ideas or uh, stories of my own to tell. So it was kind of this world of this is happening to me, 
but I would excuse it away as well. Oh, I just need to work harder. Oh, I just need to, maybe I'm not ready. And that they know that. Um, but, uh, now like within the past like decade, I'm starting to realize like, no crap, like they're just not ex expecting it from me. They're not, you know, seeing it within me and it has to do with my appearance. It has to do with, you know, the, my background and my upbringing and the fact that they don't think a person like me, mm -hmm. uh, can be an Emmy award-winning television host or capable of producing Facebook live streams or of writing really good, heartfelt, thorough, uh, journalistic pieces. Um, so it was just kind of a space of being completely underestimated. Um, the bar for what people thought of me being really low and trying to push against that. Um, right. but yeah, and now, now I'm, you know, in a space now where if I see it, I'm like, well, I don't got to prove myself to any of you all. <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's extremely important. And, and many of us experience that. I've certainly experienced that as a, a Black male and as a Black right. male. Right. Yeah. Um, a lot of times it does not have, uh, not a lot of times, I'd say almost 100% of the time, it has nothing to do with your ability. Mm -hmm. It has a lot of, um, it has a lot to do with those who hold power. Yeah. And, um, how they choose to maybe keep that power or um, they haven't seen value in our talent in the past. But I, I think we're in a new space. I, I am loving seeing so many people of color, women of color doing amazing things just like yeah, you. Yeah, absolutely. And as you said, you are now an Emmy award-winning host. And I want to talk a little bit about that. Oh, yeah. Um, check, please, Philly. You won an Emmy for your first season as host. Yes. I I think, you know, you've talked about how you got into video and you were doing um your cookie Facebook lives. Yes. <laughs> and uh, how you had been doing writing. How did the opportunity for Check Please come up? Yeah. Um, well, it's it's a mix of right place, right time, having the materials prepared. Um, and yeah, and using whatever resources I had available to me, even if it meant, you know, it didn't look perfect. Um, and actually working mm. in, working more in television, I'm realizing that everybody's just shooting from the hip and nothing is ever really perfect. You just got to get to the, that spot the on time. And the, yep. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and just make it work. Just make whatever you have work. And so I lived a very resourceful life um, and a really resilient life um, where I just will maximize whatever resources I have. So, and, and also to stay connected and any opportunity to put yourself out there or connect with more people is a good opportunity because you never know who you're going to connect with and you never know at what point something big like this is going to happen. So what had right. happened was I, I'm not it, I, I never did the improv scene, um, but I'm friends with a lot of people in improv. And so I would be a part of their shows as usually the person who's like the straight man, like the person that's like, 
not an actor, not an improv person, but is just themselves and everyone else is being an actor around them. I see. And there was a new improv show happening at Good Good Comedy in Chinatown. And I got there and it was one of those shows where it was like more people in the audience than there or more people on stage than there were in the audience. But we had a really great time. But someone that had work or someone that was part of that show was also working at WHYY and she knew that a friend of hers was uh, the producer of a new show coming to Philadelphia that was all about the restaurant scene and everything. So she recommended me to this person and this person went to my website, found all of my foodful thinking Friday night cookie videos and then <laughs> and, and then came like, back. Yeah, they resurged again. So I got like two Mm -hmm. really good jobs out of these like goofy little cookie videos. And, you know, she reached out and was like, oh, you know, I think you'd be perfect. You're you're really great on camera. You can talk a lot. And, you know, um, we're producing this show. Do you want to audition? So I was like, yeah, totally. And that was the most scary, excruciating experience. Yeah, it, what was we, it like? Oh my goodness. This so we met for coffee. We talked about the show, what it was like. I watched other versions of the show because the show actually exists in other cities. Right. As well, I know there was yeah. an episode with Obama in Chicago. Yes, like yes. Yeah, that's a famous <laughs> <one>. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Um so yeah, exactly. There was an episode with Obama in Chicago. Uh, it's really big in the San Francisco Bay Area. I watched Leslie Sabraco, who's the host for um, San Francisco Bay area and watched how she did it. And I was like, Oh, that's really fun. I could definitely see myself doing that. And so mm-hmm. I auditioned, I think the first audition was Valentine's day. And I felt like I showed up, I was in this like little suit that I got at AIDS thrift because at the time I was like still thrifting clothes and everything. And <laughs> I, I show up, I felt like I was like, so nervous. I think the first show or the first audition, they give you, they gave me a restaurant and they were like, okay, this is the restaurant. Oh, and for anyone listening, if they don't know the format of the show, it's three guests come, they each recommend a restaurant that they really like. And then we all go separately. And then we go into the studio and we talk about the restaurants. We talk about what we ate, the appetizers, the drinks, the atmosphere, uh, the service. So there's all these talking points and everything. And, you know, it's a really, really cool like travel show and it's also yeah. like a great food show it's a great program I really loved it because it was really elevating and giving space to restaurants that didn't necessarily ever get attention like restaurants that were in you know small neighborhoods or had been around for 40 50 60 years mm-hmm. uh, but never got that like PR push or whatever you know um so it was great spots that weren't getting or like some do get attention, but others were like, oh, wow, I've never heard of this place. Um, so it was the place that does soup dumplings. It's really known for soup dumplings. And I talked, I researched the history of soup dumplings. I asked the chef about like I even like went as far as to call the restaurant and ask the chef questions and everything. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I took this real journalistic approach because when I, you know, what was always super important to me was that we weren't just going to 
talk about the food, but we were going to talk about the inspiration of the food that people were going to step away from that table or step away from their TV screens. And I wanted them to learn something that, so every time they had a soup dumpling or every time they ate a Moroccan meal, they learned something about the culture that it came from or knew something about the person who made the food so that there was a deeper connection. Um, my, right, it's important. I went into the first audition and you know, uh, I didn't hear back. And then they were like, Oh, we're doing call. We're doing a second round of auditions. Do you want to come for a callback? And I was like, callback. Did I not do good enough the first time? <laughs> ah! So the callback was like on international women's day, March 8th. And that day, I, I, I don't know what was up, but I felt so much more confident that day. I walked into the studio. Like I own the joint again in another thrift shop, uh, suit. And, you know, the, the, the restaurant was Silk City, which we ended up actually using Silk City for one of the episodes. One of my and, favorites, so. <laughs> yes. And so I kind of forgot that the cameras were there. And I was just like, you know what? I'm just going to act like I am talking to a group of friends about this restaurant. And that's kind of the nature of the show is like, you feel like you are the fifth person at the table, like looking in on this conversation, this raw conversation, this real conversation mm -hmm. that's happening amongst people who aren't like, what I love about it is people aren't food professionals. Like I'm a food professional, but you're not necessarily, I'm not talking about what I ate or what I, you know, think or whatever. I'm more or less interviewing them. So they're not held by the rules of how like food writers talk about food or how like, you know, so it's, it's fun because they're real people, but it was Silk City and one thing that I think is so cool about Silk City is that it was used in the Welcome to Miami music video right at the beginning. It's Will Smith and his friends. It's a cold day in Philadelphia. Ah, I didn't know that. <laughs> yeah, and he, one of the one of his uh, friends comes in and he's shivering and everyone's like shivering in their boots because it's super cold and he throws this newspaper down on the table and it says something about it being like really cold in Philadelphia that day. And the guy goes, Jack Frost got done, lost his mind. And so I recited that at the audition and I thought, oh no, I blew it. But then like when I got the gig, I found out like a month later that I had gotten the gig. Um, the creator of the show was like, yeah, that thing about, uh, that thing about Will Smith. Yeah. Just do that. Just keep doing that. <laughs> you had your Philly knowledge down. You're the perfect host for the show, right? <laughs> Thanks. You've been the host for one season and I know Right before COVID, I believe you were, the COVID pandemic, you were starting to record season two or starting to plan for season two. Oh my two. goodness. We, it was the first day in the studio and that first day wasn't filming. It was just talk. We'd, so you know how we used to do the pre-calls. We would call every single guest right before yeah. and we would go through the form that you all filled out about what you ate and like, you know, and we would get these talking points kind of rolling. So that was the day we were going to call everybody and everybody was like, is this still happening? Um, yeah. or like, they were like, oh no, I tried to go to this restaurant and it's closed. And, and so we realized at that point, like, oh, we can't move forward with this. And that was on March 16th. And I think that was really the day. Um, yeah, that was like, that was at least the week that everything really oh, shut yeah. down, right? Yeah, exactly. Um, exactly. So hmm. we, we were like, we put a hold on everything because we just didn't know how it would pan out. And I mean, it's still on hold because restaurants, even though things are looking good, 
um, restaurants are still adjusting. Yeah, like, and they've um, been hit pretty hard. I mean, in every major city, but especially here in Philadelphia. So season two is on hold, um, but season one completed. And I believe that was in 2018 into 2019. Yeah. Um, yeah. And you won an Emmy for your first season. So tell me what that felt like. That blew my mind. Um, uh, yeah, I didn't, I wasn't expecting anything from it, but my whole, my whole theory of applying for awards is not so much about winning, but about getting your work in front of people, in front of other people, because mm-hmm. the people judging this are other industry professionals. And, uh, you know, they, you never know where your you know, video or where your body of work is going to land, if it's going right. to, you know, be in front of like, like I always submit my work to, um, different food writing awards. Uh, I haven't been, you know, I haven't gotten a nomination yet for, for on that front, but, uh, maybe someday, but the whole point is that there's other editors that are reading this work and they might read my work and go, Oh, this is like an interesting perspective. And, you know, if I ever pitch them, they might recognize the name or they might follow me on social media. Um, but I just, you know, I was like, ah, nothing to lose. Let's just submit, you know, a few and, you know, W H Y Y they were like, Oh, because of the pandemic, we can't like, usually the, the, the station pays to submit and submit on, on your behalf. Yeah. Um, so I was like, Hey, does anyone want to like submit some check please videos? And, uh, there was actually only one where two other people that I worked with, um, submitted. And that was the only one that didn't get a nomination, but every other, so we were nominated for, uh, an entertainment category, a lifestyle category. And then I was nominated for the talent program host moderator category. Um, but it was so funny because I didn't know when they were going to read the, uh, when they were going to read the nominations, I kind of, Uh kind of forgot that I had submitted. And all of a sudden I get this like text message, from one of the producers on the show and she was like oh yo congratulations and I was like eating chips watching watching um oh gosh catfish the show catfish um, <laughs> my pjs and I was like what what are you talking about and she sends me a screenshot and I had only known about the show getting nominated and I was like oh no way so I go to twitter to tweet like oh the show was nominated but then I saw that the mid-atlantic emmys had tagged me and they were like oh Kehlani has been nominated for this the for like for talent I was like whoa my mind was blown of course like (laughs) of course my husband captured the moment which I could never share this photo because one I'm in my pjs two (laughs) my hair is pulled back there's no makeup I'm eating chips so or like so I had like oh I think it was like cheesy poop so I had like cheesy poop dust on my hands (laughs) and at the time I was getting some extreme like dental surgery done so my front tooth for um the, not during the show but when I was helping out with WHYY's you ought to know I don't know if you ever watched the interview we did with um Marcus Samuelson but for the for that part I actually had a denture for my first for my front tooth uh, okay. and so I was missing a tooth <laughs> and I'm crying <laughs> and he took a photo and he was like this is the moment when you realize you were nominated for an Emmy and I was like you can never share this but we have it but I'll never share it <laughs> right <laughs> but no I, I wasn't I wasn't expecting anything and then they like announced the winners and I still wasn't expecting anything so I was like really blown away but I was so honored deeply 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 honored but it also validated to me that what I'm on the right track and my whole prerogative to make sure that restaurants, that restaurants, people like 
you know, a lot of the restaurants we covered are were owned by immigrants mm-hmm. uh, that were sharing their cultural food and their cultural identity through the dishes and expressing their life, their their life experiences. They were expressing that through food. And that was what I wanted people to understand. So when I got that Emmy, it just validated to me that that was I was on the right track. But it also raised the bar. And I'm glad that that's now the standard of yeah. like, I'm glad that I'm a standard of just like, but now I'm going to try and continue to push that standard. And, you know, my whole career, I've like made it a point to be like, hey, there's all this whole groups of people with outstanding, incredible, resilient stories that you're just not talking about. Why? Because, oh, you think all of a sudden when we talk about race, all of a sudden it's political or, oh, mm-hmm. when we, oh, you know, for some reason you think that we are only supposed to talk about black restaurateurs or black people during February. That's silly. No, I make it a point in my work to cover these stories as if it's completely normal, as uh-huh. if it's not part of a heritage month, as if it's not part of it being about, you know, a black restaurateur, a black farmer, or like, a, you know, an, a, a refugee farmer or something mm-hmm, like that. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm making it a point to be like, these, this is, um, this, these are Americans and these are their stories and their stories are, you know, you can relate to them. You can see your, you can identify yourself in them. And I think being a mixed person, being a biracial person, um, because code switching is so like, it's not a thing that I picked up as a person living in this world. It was a thing that I was born into. Mm -hmm. So I have this kind of inherent ability to be able to see myself in a lot of people, especially if they're an outsider, because as a biracial person, not only am I part of the groups that I am part of, I'm also an outsider of those groups simultaneously. So yeah, any yeah. underdog, any outsider, any person who is, you know, who is not what is usually represented in mainstream media, uh, I identify super deeply with, and that's who I want to elevate more. You know, I, I think it's important. Uh, we, we talk about this often, or I've talked about it often with friends specifically here in Philadelphia, but I know this is the case in other cities as well um, from friends that I have in those places. Oh, totally. It's that like, we often see the same restaurants on the best of list. We often mm-hmm. see the same restaurants highlighted in the media. And mm-hmm. oftentimes at the helm of those restaurants are white men. Um, yep. it, it is women and minorities are the minority. And uh, in a city like Philadelphia, which is in many ways, majority minority, Mm -hmm. um, it has such a vibrant food scene. It is nice when you see these other places get some shine and that you're showcasing really the breadth and depth of the diversity of the food scene. Oh yeah. Definitely. That's why I love Check Please and also a lot of the work that you've done. Oh, Um, thanks. I got to hand it to my, the the producers, Caitlin and Sarah too, because I was so thrilled when I got that restaurant list because it was, you know, Caitlin was the one getting all of everyone's submissions and she was doing the pre-interviews and Mm. she really was so mindful when it came to the selection of restaurants. And then when I got that list, I was like, yeah, girl, I know we on the same wavelength. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. We're, we are trying to do the same thing here. And so WHYY, that was the first time and the first project that I ever worked on where I felt like, oh yes, we can, we can do 
we finally have the power to do something that's like mildly radical. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. So I know you, you, you've done so much already and you, you've won the Emmy, you know, blue skies, the sky's the limit, you know, meeting all these kind of goals. What's next for you? Oh, what's next? You know, I am such a firm believer that no matter what you got going on, you always got to have like your own project. Mm-hmm. And I've always kind of regretted, like I left blogging to pursue legacy media um, and to kind of get legacy media into the digital world. Um, mm-hmm. And at that, like, you know, I no longer have like the old blog. Um, I had tried to start up other blogs, but um, I don't know why I just like didn't do it. I just wanted to work more at, at legacy, but now I see there's huge value in it. Um, so I'm blogging in the form of recipes on my personal portfolio website, but also the amuse-bouche Substack uh, mm. newsletter. And so I, I, it's, it's great skills to have. It's, it's always a good thing to have like a rolling body of work that sits out and lives outside of whatever else you're, you're working on and doing and everything. Um, but I also wanted to get into podcasting. I really love podcasting. I devour podcasts. Uh, it's what I drive to. It's what I get <laughs> ready to in the morning. I've listened to so much table 86 over the past few months. Thank on you. Walks. Thank you. <laughs> yes. Yes. I love it. And I love the people that come through here and then I go check out their social media and I go follow them and, you know, it's really, really great. And, um, you know, it, it's, it's a, I, I am so interested in the pieces of work that people sit with for a long time. And mm. like, I've had to write lots of lists. I mean, literally the, the, I, at USA Today, I'm at a vertical called 10 best, which is literally just like lists of 10 best things, but we we're really good at cultivating what those lists look like. And also too, for a huge legacy media company, again, it's super important for me to make sure that people of color are being represented and mm-hmm. getting on these lists because those lists are still important. Um, but I really like bodies of work that will change the way people think, or they sit with it for a while, or it takes them a while to read, or they watch it on television, or they're listening to it on a podcast to hang out with someone for like 30 to 45 minutes is huge. So, and so I'm trying to still develop my skills as a podcaster, you know, scheduling people and, and Mm -hmm. then doing the audio engineering and everything. And then having like consistency. That's another thing is like having that body of work that's relatively consistent. And so I'm really excited that I've been consistent so far. I have a ninth episode coming out. I think I'll get to 10 and maybe like take a little bit of a break, but uh, it's always producing other projects. And then, you know, I'm writing, doing more freelance writing too. Um, All right, it is time for Table Topic. Uh, Table Topics are a portion of my show where my guest, in this case you, (laughs) get to drop some knowledge, share some tips, offer some insight to my listeners. You are, as we've said multiple times, and I'm going to keep celebrating an Emmy-winning on-air host for Check Please Philadelphia. Thanks. (laughs) (laughs) You deserve all all the praise for that. And um, a lot of people like desire and covet that. And what I've seen recently, and we talked a bit about, is that there is this trend towards video. Mm -hmm. And it can be scary getting comfortable in front of a camera. Um, I think many, many people struggle with that. I know I certainly do. Yeah. And so I thought that 
you could impart some wisdom um, or share some tips you have for getting comfortable in front of the camera? Sure. Um, There's, you know, multiple kinds of ways that you're presenting on a camera. Um, And I've had the pleasure of doing all types of different things where, you know, one-to-one interviews with people, Mm -hmm. uh, check please was the round table discussions and anything. And those are easy because you can kind of act like the camera is not there and you can get just like talk to the person. And so you're really, there's a person there to connect with. And so that's like a, that's a little bit easier. Um, but when it's just you in front of a camera, it could be very intimidating because the camera doesn't give you any validation. It's not giving you any feedback. Mm -hmm. Um, so you just got to roll with it. Uh, imagine that you're talking to a friend, imagine that you're talking to another person and, uh, just practice it because for me, it's still not a, uh, I think it, I think it still takes me a couple of takes in order to get the one that, um, that works well, that has energy. Yeah. The one that, yeah, exactly. That, that, that looks natural. That, uh, is that actually works. Uh, so know that everything that you're watching, it most likely took some time to get there. It most likely took a few takes before that was the one that was used. And that's usually like, yeah, to loosen you up, uh, as you're, you know, getting used to it. Cause it is, it's not, um, it's not natural and it still takes me time to get used to the camera. So be forgiving of yourself and also just watch your work too. I know that's super creepy. (laughs) Adam Driver doesn't like to watch himself. Um, And no matter how awkward it is, just watch yourself, listen to yourself. Do you do a lot of likes and ums? I know that's, that's what, um, I do a lot, you know, at some point. Yeah. Me too. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. At some point the producers were, they told me don't start your sentences with so, um, because I did a lot of so, um, <laughs> and I still do. Um, <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah, but yeah, it, so it's practice watching yourself, um, doing it again and again and again. Uh, it is a lot of it is a lot of work to get something that is only a few minutes long can actually take hours of production. Definitely. And no, and those are those are fantastic tips. And, you know, I, I definitely see that as well. Uh, it, in editing the podcast is a, is a similar way, like, I can edit out a lot of things, but I've tried to get better at saying certain things, like not saying so, so much. You're right, or, right. Um, um, uh, one tip that helped me is I actually started wearing a rubber band around my wrist. I don't have one on today, but like right. I would I would click it mm-hmm. um, when I used to say, um, and now uh, it creates a pause sometimes when I don't say, um, but it's a natural pause versus feeling like I have to fill it up. Oh yeah. That's a good idea. And yeah, natural pauses. That's another thing. It's like, if you're talking on camera, you just want to keep rambling and rambling. I'm a rambler. I'm sorry if I rambled through this podcast, but, uh, you know, pauses and go slower. You are actually Mm. going faster than what you think. (laughs) So it actually looks more natural and normal. If you slow down, take your time, have pauses it actually seems more calm <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah and it works better yeah, yeah. Kaylani, thank you so much for joining the Table 86 podcast today. I I really enjoyed learning about your journey, um, but also you dropped a lot of knowledge and and great tips on navigating a career in writing as well as as an on-screen talent. 
if my listeners want to find you, uh, they want to check out some old Check Please episodes, um, or they want to try out some of your delicious recipes or read your writing, how do they do that? Oh, goodness. Thank you so much for having me. Uh, yeah, I think, you know, you can follow me personally on social media at Kaylani Says on uh, Twitter and Instagram. Uh, if you're interested in the Amuse Bouche newsletter, Amuse Bouche, it's all of the food industry's big ideas served in small bites. Uh, you can catch that at amusebouche.substack.com. Uh, on social media, it's Amuse Bouche Pod. And if you're interested in watching some old episodes of Check These Philly, um, that's on WHYY's website. But there's also another digital series that I worked on called Delishtery, uh, which talked about the history of food. And I talk a lot about how how food fueled colonialism uh, in that hey. series. So yeah, if you want to catch Delishtery, uh, that's on YouTube as well as on WHYY's website and also on like the PBS app, uh, wherever you like to stream your videos. <laughs>